Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by pizzas with only one topping, you dull, boring bastards. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Booty Sweat. Pop an ass open and guzzle up eight ounces of booty sweat. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the festival. I am Wes. <laughs> I am grossed out. <laughs> and I am Todd. And this is the festival where we like to, as filmmakers, kind of pick apart, analyze films, and I don't know, see what they're made of. I was talking to another cinematographer earlier today, and I used the word another very loosely there. But he was he's a, he's a fantastic cinematographer, and we'll probably have him on at some point. Used it loosely because, because that I lumps you in with him? That's correct. Okay, <laughs> yeah. got it. And so just talking with him, I was like, yeah, we're doing the thing tonight. And he was like, oh, how has that gone? I was like, this has been a great way to kind of hold me accountable for my film education, um, just as a means of trying to understand what I see whenever I'm watching a film and trying to put together some kind of, I don't know, cohesive idea about what I experienced. And I, the thing I really like about what we do is we're not here to get it right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No, we're just here to interpret like no. how it impacted us, what we yeah. saw and what I took away. Uh, I mean, we have opinions and, and, you know, those opinions arise from our experience, but at the same time, it's like, we didn't make the movie. So yeah, we had like, no idea. We, we throw out what we think and then maybe, it, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, of course, like if a, you know, Tarantino wants to walk in here and correct me by all means, sir. <laughs> Quentin, you, you heard it here. Yep. And it's, and it's fine because I think it's almost sometimes more important of not necessarily on the super technical side, like how did they achieve this effect? That's probably more important uh, that I understand how they did it. But in general, it's more important how I think something was done or why it was done, because I think that effect is uh, more telling than what their intention was, because intention doesn't always mean result. And I've recognized that in my own project sometimes where I go in with an intention and I'm like, oh, I came shy of the glory of God on that one. <laughs> and that's OK. Yeah. And do you feel like you've been learning a lot, of, you know, in this process as well? Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to watch something on screen. Like I have this, I think more than just learning process, like I have this enjoyment of, and this, this like awe experience of pretty much any movie that I watch. Well, not all of them, but most 95% of movies that I watch, I'm just, whether I like it or not, I'm like, wow, they made that, you know, like that was really hard to make. You had to find that location. Like that's, a, that's ridiculous. You got that, you know, you had to get all these people to be on the same page to make this, this thing. And then you had them went after you shot it, you had to spend months editing it and, and somebody had to score it. And then you had to have Foley and like, there is so much to making a, a film that just, you know, I have such respect for the art now. And, you know, I've always loved film, but understanding the, how the sausage is made a little bit makes you, makes you either in some ways, I guess in some people could go the opposite way and, and think, well, I, I know how that's done. So that's not really like amazing, but I think in film it's totally different just because of the n number of 
sheer number of hands that have to touch this thing and the time it takes and um, especially if it's good and it, it's emotive on the, at the end, it just, that's a miracle. That's a, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely. And so seeing that actually like really makes me respect it way more than any, uh, like most other mediums. Honestly. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you and I, maybe you at this point more than I are dealing with something that you said at the beginning of that comment was finding the right location. Like we're in the middle oh, of, yeah. you know, producing a proof of concept, uh, short film mm-hmm. and we're, we need a very specific location finding it big pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've got a lead. I've got a lead there. They haven't gotten back to me yet. Super excited. I'm on it. And so whenever you watch a film, whether it's the thing or any, anything else, you're like, how it, it's, these are things you don't even consider mm-hmm. because the job of the film, right. Is to kind of sell you on this world. So of course they're not going to show up. Well, maybe they're not going to show off, but usually they're not going to show off. Oh, look, we're whatever in the Eiffel Tower. It's like, no, of course we're in the Eiffel Tower because that's where the story needed to take place. And yeah. it all feels so obvious as a viewer. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. don't see all the back breaking work that goes into mm-hmm. securing some of these locations. And like you said, getting sometimes a couple thousand people on the same page. Yeah. I mean, depending on the amount of visual effects and the various departments you go through like if you look at something like i don't know a a tv show with a lot of effects um then you might not have to be working with just one visual effects company it might be you know seven or eight different visual effects companies and each one of those companies has their own you know stacking tier of programmers that are supporting you know the uh the visual effects artists and Mm -hmm. those visual effects artists have storyboarders and concept artists and like you just have no idea how many layers go into any given shot let alone an entire project yeah it's wild yeah and yeah overall i would say i've learned a lot and it's just been really fun uh just tearing these things apart and having to sit and figure out what the heck do i think about this yeah that's hard sometimes for sure yeah because I mean, you're just watching it and you're either enjoying it or you're not, but then, but you have to find something else to see, especially if you've seen it before like this. Yeah. This 90th episode. God, this is crazy. That's crazy. We've done this 90 times. Oh God. Don't (laughs) don't put it that way. It doesn't feel like it. Don't put it that way. It feels like our sixth or seventh time, honestly. Yeah. 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 So weird. I know. Nice. What are we doing today? We are doing John Carpenter's The Thing. And are there... Multiple things. There are the original right. was in 1951. Ooh, okay. So the thing from another planet, I think. Oh, which right. was based on a short story from an author who wrote something in 1938. Uh, who, yeah. So it's just been this, and then since then, since John Carpenter's, there's been another a prequel that came out, uh, which was fine. Okay. <laughs> so I guess I'll Got say about that. Got it. It's got a history, though. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, so, yeah, we're doing John Carpenter's The Thing. So, all of you out there, if you have not seen The Thing, please pause this episode and go watch it and enjoy it, and then come back. And because we've got spoilers, we're gonna talk about everything. Definitely. And by the way, I really love our spoiler alert, just because I personally don't see there being a time limit on spoilers. Yeah, I, sure. I, if there's a timeless movie, whatever, if someone hasn't seen. I don't know. Uh, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Like, you might want to be able to go through that. Who hasn't seen Jerry right. Maguire? Well, that's the crazy thing is, you know, there's 15-year-olds right now who haven't seen every Shyamalan movie, you know, yeah. Sixth Sense and Signs or whatever. And 
I feel like you could be stealing something from someone who hasn't seen that. Or for me, you know, I grew up, I'd never seen Citizen Kane. I didn't know who Rosebud was. And so mm -hmm. being able to sit through something that came out 50 years before me and still get that same exact response that audiences back then got to experience, that's priceless. Like, I'm yeah. so glad no one ruined that for me because they thought, oh, well, you know, time's gone by. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, screw you, It's too. been 60 years. Yeah, right. should, yeah. But I love that ability to just kind of sit and experience something for the first time. And yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about a lot of things with the thing specifically, and we'll stay on the thing. A lot of the things. A lot of the things with the thing. Uh, we'll talk about cinematography, special effects, story and writing, specifically about building suspense and other such stuff in the thing and stuff and a quick synopsis of the film a research team in antarctica is hunted is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of his victims uh directed by john carpenter screenplay by bill lancaster based on the novella by john w campbell jr cinematography by dean cundy featuring kurt russell as mccready keith david as childs wilford brimley as blair uh, T.K. Carter as Nalls and Richard Dysart as Dr. Copper. I know I'm human. And if you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. There's a storm hitting us in six hours. We're gonna find out who's who. All right, Doc. Gary and Clark move over there away from the others. Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah. That guy is timeless. Bring, brings it, man. God. Without him, you don't have a movie. No. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. He's so good. But I assume this is probably something, I don't know, maybe you saw it before, maybe you haven't. I don't know if this really fell in the... I think I did, but I, I it, if I have, it's been so long that mm. I don't remember anything about it. So it was like I hadn't seen it before. How was it? Like, I know I got, yeah. so I got to see this with, uh, in theaters at one point a few years ago, mm. a local website was running kind of a movie marathon and they played this at the draft house. And for me, it was just like the best thing ever. Cause I'm, I finally get to see this on the big screen, but I saw it with our friend Alyssa. And after, you know, we walked out she was like, yeah, I don't think that did for me what it does for you. And I was like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm curious, yeah. like, uh, what effect did this have, if any, and how was your experience? So I, okay. I, as most of our listeners or now viewers know, I'm not really the craziest horror fan or whatever you want to call this what is it horror yeah yeah sure i'm not the i'm not the biggest horror fan so when we when we decided we were going to do this i thought okay you know whatever it's halloween the the pacing of it was fantastic i i really loved it the slowness at the beginning you know barely a word spoken for the first almost 10 minutes there's these people these guys chasing this dog and I was like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? And it just makes you figure it out with the characters, right? So it brings you along with it. 
is really hard for me to separate. It's kind of like listening to eighties hair bands. It's hard for me to separate the artistry because those guys are amazing musicians. Mm. All of them. Incredible. It's hard for me to separate the, the artistry from the time period. Right. But there were some things that I really noticed that I, that I liked a lot. Like first off, Kurt Russell is amazing. So the casting was really great. I loved that they had African-American guys in there and they didn't kill them off. Right. right? Like, like in fact, one of them lived. Yeah. Right. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> we warned you, it, which was, which is awesome. I loved the camera movement. Like it was, it was noticeable because normally like movies of this age, I noticed that it's either the cameras are on sticks like all the time. Rarely do you see obvious dolly moves. Yeah. Right. But like when they found the, um, the ice block that had been melted inside the the place, whatever, uh, they did this, uh, huge dolly move where this guy walks in, not, uh, McCready, but the other guy that was with him walks in and he, and there's these stairs and he walks on these stairs and the camera pans down to line up with the, the block and then pans up. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a jib. Yeah. I, they were using a jib for that. Yeah. And, and I noticed that that doesn't happen really in, in movies of this age, at least not that I've noticed. Um, but I noticed it and I noticed it a lot throughout the whole thing. Like they would pan, you know, there would be a character over here and he'd walk across the screen and they would pan with him and it that's stuff that we've talked about on other yeah. movies. In fact, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about it on a movie. So yeah, I, and I loved that. I really enjoyed the cinematography and the, the, the stress and the confusion as a viewer, you know, like, I don't know who's who, who yeah. you know, and, or what's going to happen. And so, yeah, it was really, it was really enjoyable on that regard. Not crazy about the alien thing. Yeah. Just because... I don't, I don't know. I don't really have a reason other than maybe just the, the campiness of, uh, of what it, I don't know. We never really see what it is. You know? Right. Because it's always it's taking always, over something else. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was, yeah. it was, it was good as movies of this age go for me. It was definitely, it was very good. Yeah. Cause in this vein, you have very few in this era. Cause what is this like 1984? Uh, release. I mean, probably early eighties for sure. 82. Oh, it was actually released in 82. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I don't know what it is for me. I mean, I grew up on this and so this, it's hard for me to separate my childhood watching this from, you know, and trying to get perspective as a filmmaker or, or even as, you know, uh, a full grown adult who's watched a hundred movies, a uh, hundred thousand movies. Yeah. I was <laughs> say a hundred and still see this and objectively say, Oh yeah, here's where it falls short. Cause for me, like I still love the special effects. I don't know if they look good to you who hasn't really ever seen this before, or if it looks hokey or if some of them look hokey and some of them look like, Oh, that was gross and interesting because we've gotten so dialed into kind of these CG effects you don't see a lot of practical effects anymore, yeah. um, especially the extent of these, like the, the guy's head crawls off, you know, kind of mm-hmm. just stretches and pulls off. And apparently I was talking so that uh, my friend Brody, I was talking to earlier, the DP, he, he was like, yeah, the guy who did all these uh special effects was like just a 22 year old kid, you know, who was just kind of figuring it out and said, Oh, here's what we do, you know? And apparently he was using like gum, uh, and certain shots to kind of pull and stretch and create that kind of tendon like effect. And 
and the more, you know, uh, goo and blood, you know, the easier it is to kind of sell some of these things. Like some of the shots, because the the face kind of makes these weird, crazy angles, I'm like, okay, this I can feel is a little bit more dated, but some of those other ones felt like, yeah, like the dog uh, towards the beginning whenever it opens up. And oh man, yeah, that was crazy. Crazy. And so I would say, like, for me, 80 to 90% of the effects still really pull me in, which is one of the original allures for sure. But also I just love the cat and mouse of it all. I love, like you said, as an audience, we don't always necessarily know what's happening Mm -hmm. um, and who's who, which is pretty cool. That's one of those suspense things, you know, that it's like, we don't really know who we can trust. And that includes McCready at times uh, because there's, they do so many things to kind of keep us guessing and to never let us feel like, were oriented and like, okay, well, there's McCready. There's our good guy. Crap. He just went away for a while and now he's back. Is that still McCready? Which is a really good feeling to have, uh, just because you don't want us relying on our favorite character. Mm -hmm. You want us begging to get our favorite character back. And that's a really cool place to be coming from Yeah, that we're about to lose something. Um, yeah. And they do a really good job of keeping us feeling like we're going to lose. And that's what he says in that open, opening click is that, you know, if there's no one left to defeat it, then it wins. And that is kind of this cat and mouse chess match that's happening throughout is between him and almost us in some instances uh, and the thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so I... All together, and I love kind of the creativity of, okay, we're isolated, so we don't have any of the, not only creature comforts, but we also don't have any uh, any help coming. There's no one coming for us, so everything right. you have is what you have. Yeah. And now we got to get creative and use our minds to outwit the creature, and so they keep devising these tests, and the cr- creature kind of keeps outwitting them. Like, oh, we'll, we'll just test against the original blood. Oh, that's all gone now. Okay, we mm-hmm. can't use that. Uh, now what about... And now we have nothing. And so it kind of goes for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes before McCready comes up with another test, which, of course, only comes after a couple of more people die. Yeah. So, oh, I got inspiration now. <laughs> and so and that's just a great, you know, ripe attention moment of. Uh, and for me, that's iconic. I see those those images, you know, when I go to bed at night, like Ooh. the Petri dish and the, yeah. the hot. Ring. Yeah. It's uh-huh. just beautiful. And so, yeah, this. I would say definitely had a very lasting impact on me. And if I ever made something on this level, I would be absolutely just Yo, totally. Yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, John Carpenter's a bit of a legend. I don't know. I wouldn't say he's made anything as good as this uh, before or since. But this is a legendary film in terms of uh, if you talk to most filmmakers, I guess they would yeah. they would be pretty pretty excited about about this one in specific. But yeah, there were there were there were a lot of like practicals that I really enjoyed a lot. What did you find some gold? Well, I'm just looking at his uh, IMDb page, and he has like 32 credits. I don't know that it's necessarily 32 movies, but it's probably at least 20 to 25 movies. And I'm like, good lord, man, you are killing it. And some of these are freaking iconic. So I got that. 100 like percent wrong big trouble in little china is a uh yeah <laughs> that's, that's a big one i didn't realize that was him i've only ever thought of one thing when i thought of john carpenter not only one thing but one thing mostly one thing <laughs> a thing a thing the thing, a thing. <laughs> okay we're done we're done with that we well, what are we going to talk about today so 
I'll dive, I'll dive into cinematography since yeah. you kicked that off. Like there is so many locked off shots, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of sitting there, except, and this was such a strange shot. I had to watch it twice. Uh, the very opening shot when we're looking at the helicopter coming in from the distance. It's so weird because we have that layer of fog mm-hmm. uh, in the distance. And then it's like a mountain is passing us in the background. It's like a mountain has suddenly become a ship of titanic proportions and it's just kind of passing in the back and it doesn't feel like we're moving and so it's just this really disorienting in a very light-handed way uh, effect and then the second time i watched it i realized oh they are doing this very 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 large dolly sweep where we must be in a helicopter for the amount of movement that they do because we move a long ways in order to get that uh, parallax effect of that other mountain in the background it's crazy, but it feels like a locked off shot. Wait, do you think they're in a helicopter? They're doing something to get a lot of movement in order to get the amount of parallax because the mountain that's in the foreground is still very far away in the background. And the mountain behind that uh, is, the, is, the, is the parallax effect whenever yeah. you have you know two, two things moving and you're moving the camera. And so in order to get that effect, they had to have moved very, very far. That's, that's not like a... A 10-foot move or 20-foot. It felt like that was probably like a 500-foot move. But not only did they have to move side to side, but they had to turn the camera too, right? Because you don't really see it. If you don't see it moving, notice it moving, then the foreground has to stay in frame. Right. And that's where I think they they tilt the camera up enough so that you can't really see just below us. Right. Your first view of anything is probably, you know, half a mile away. Yeah. And so, yeah, they, they tilt the camera in just a way to not let that happen. But yeah, they're reframing yeah. very lightly to make sure yeah. our left and right frame of reference stays the same. Uh, That's crazy. But it felt like they went way out of their way to create this kind of alien effect. And it's subtle. But for the most part, otherwise, they use a lot of locked off shots, which allows for and they're wide. There's a lot of wide locked off shots and they still do these close up locked off shots uh, instead of a lot of panning and tilting uh, for the most part in the beginning. And that allows for a really good sense of isolation and stillness. And it feels like everything's very composed and that way. And if it's composed, it feels safe. And so this allows us a really good view also of everything that's happening. So we have a good understanding of the layout and geography. And then as we begin to introduce the alien element, these tones, as they, because otherwise they have one kind of tracking shot with the, the guy on skates and as he's walking, moving through. But otherwise it's mostly locked off or panning. Like they do a lot of uh, panning and tilting, but not a lot of actual camera movement, like on a track of any kind. But when we get into the alien uh, element where we go and visit the other uh, destroyed base, then they begin slightly sliding around more and it adds drama and significance to what's happening. And it maybe kind of feels like we're crawling around, like we're the monster or we're getting these monster feelings. Uh, and it's super subtle, but it's pretty cool. Uh, as far as cinematography goes, the other thing I noticed was they're shooting anamorphic, which is a, a style of filming that kind of squeezes the image down when you're shooting it. And then in post, whenever you go to edit the thing, you unsqueeze it and it adds edit all these... the thing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it adds all these interesting visual effects to your bokeh. And also whenever you have uh, flares on the lens, which is uh, when the light shines directly onto the lens, it creates a flare. And they do a really good job of avoiding any of those anamorphic flares, except when they're using a flare. 
like whenever he's holding these flares, suddenly we have these nice streaky lights going across the screen. That's a that's an optical flare. And so I don't know that there's a specific reason, but it feels very dramatic and it feels very cinematic for sure. But it also feels like, oh, this light is really important. It kind of adds a little bit of weight to the fire and to the light and to the safety of that thing. It just adds this amazing kind of visual effect. Uh, The only other time I noticed that they have optical flares was whenever towards the end when uh, Childs abandons his post whenever they're watching him they're trying to hunt down Blair and they look back at the at the post and see Childs leaving and then all the lights go out those fail-safe emergency lights those blue ones Mm -hmm. suddenly those are flaring yeah but otherwise it feels like they really go out of the way to prevent flaring on the on the camera uh just to kind of probably protect the mood a bit and then add drama whenever they want that drama with the flaring with the creature design, personally, I freaking love it. I love all the blood, the goo. It makes it really shiny. It feels fresh. Um, I think a lot of practical effects could probably, you know, use that that idea of, yeah, if it's a practical effect and we're trying to sell something horroristic or bloody, the more texture you can give it. And, and blood and goo is kind of the easiest one, especially for horror. Like, the bloodier and gooier it is, the less we can kind of make out the details. Uh, and the more we're just kind of overwhelmed by that cohesive effect that the blood and the goo kind of give it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that the, uh, the alien, the thing, deforms everything it consumes. Because that effect, uh, that visual effect of morphing and, and throwing everything into chaos like that, uh, feels symptomatic of the distrust that runs thematically throughout the film. Whenever you think of what mistrust or distrust does in any relationship, it begins to morph the people around you. You don't know who you can trust. And now you're looking at them differently. And so it has this uh, deforming effect, trust itself. And so it's kind of cool that that's the exact effect that the thing is having on the things that it overtakes. Suddenly those things are being deformed and imitated because that's kind of what lying and, and distrust is all about. It's all about imitating the truth. It's all about trying to make you believe something that isn't real. And of course, that's a massive, massive theme that runs through this entire film, all the way from the language barrier uh, with that originally shows up. Now they're firing. There's a language barrier that's creating you know trust issues between these two groups and of course ends up getting the norwegian killed but also throughout the characters themselves right you have mccready who says it's different from us uh, i'm just going to throw all these quotes out there uh, the doc says you know it's cabin fever who knows why the norwegians were doing what they were doing and then there's this great moment between blair and mccready I don't know who to trust. And McCready tells him back, I know what you mean. Trust is a hard thing to come by these days. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe my favorite moment of them all is when McCready is on the tape recorder and he's making a log. And this is so good because he tell he's, he's recording and he's listening mm-hmm. back and he's drinking and he makes his comment. Nobody trusts anybody now. And then he pauses and he rewinds it and he listens to it. Nobody trusts anybody now. Then he rewinds it. And then he erases it. Yeah. He records right back over it. Like, it feels so, like, perfect that he doesn't trust anybody. He doesn't trust himself. Like, he doesn't trust who's ever going to listen to this later. Yeah. <laughs> to understand the right perspective of what, what everything that's happening. And I think that kind of runs... I, I feel like this movie is kind of emblematic of the... Uh, 
early 50s, the McCarthyism era of the Red Scare, like, oh, we're being invaded by yeah. communism. Mm -hmm. And this feels like a big metaphor for, you know, the, the Red Scare. And so whenever you start kind of inserting that idea of Americans looking at other Americans as a foreigner, as an invader, and as someone that needs to be uh, weeded out, this film can really take on a whole new light in the way you view that. And whenever I start thinking about that scene of him erasing his own comments, that feels very uh, McCarthyist in the sense that we're doctoring the yeah. tapes. We're doctoring our own version of events. Mm -hmm. uh, and it feels super corrupt and absolutely tonally perfect. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I loved that. And my other favorite one was whenever they go back to Blair and he's sitting in the... Uh, <laughs> he's trying to convince them like hey y'all can let me out I don't want to be here anymore oh yeah <laughs> he says this great comment he's like I'm all better now and if there was anything wrong with me you know I'm, I'm fine now and meanwhile right in front of him there's this noose there's a noose just hanging there <laughs> hanging it's like there. Jesus <laughs> it's so good I'm yeah. just dying laughing at that um but let's talk a little bit about suspense, and then I'll wrap it up with a, a theory that uh, my buddy Brody threw out to me earlier. Um, that's really interesting, but I have a I have a thought about it. And so, suspense super important. This is like because you had that that comment earlier, like is this a horror? Because it, it it feels almost like a pure suspense, yeah, with horror elements, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's a fair thing to call it. Is that it's a horror suspense or suspense horror, but. There's something very smart that they do throughout this film, and I don't know how I'll put my finger exactly on it, but the thing that I learned from this personally was when we look at, I don't know, early on when they think, the first time they think they've killed it, and they have the, they're, they're leaving the alien corpse in that storage closet, and those two guys are in there, then one guy exits, and we see a, after he leaves, we see that bloody tendril kind of slowly drip down out the, the bottom of the, I don't know, the sheet mm -hmm. that they're kind of covering it in. This is so good. The implication that something is about to happen, the thing is alive, and now it's creating a question in our mind. It's creating tension through anticipation because now we're anticipating that this guy's about to die, the thing is about to come back, and everyone's in, in danger. And so suspense is anticipation, but anticipation requires setting up an expectation in our mind or a question that we need answered. And this requires very clear communication. And so if we rewind back to the dog scene, um, the first time we see the dog, that the dog is an alien. And that scene, they don't, they don't wait to tell us this information. As soon as the dog comes in, he lays down, and it feels like we're gonna cut back to the guys playing, when in fact, we stay in there with the dogs. They stick right with it, which sets up the tension for the rest of the film because now we get to see what the thing can really do. And we see it start lashing out and we see all those guys come in. Now everybody is aware of the situation. And it's because of that, because of deliberately communicating what this thing is capable of, that sets up the tension throughout the rest of the film. And so if we go back to that scene where the guy exits, well, we never see the, what the thing does. Instead, we cut to when the guy returns and we see this thing devouring the, his buddy. Mm -hmm. And so we've mentally filled in the blanks of what happened in the interim, which is fine. And from there on, every time someone's alone with a guy, someone disappears and comes back. We are anticipating someone's been taken over because it's so quick and seamless. The other thing they do a really great job of, of creating the suspense is using fades. 
these transitions really add tension, right? Oh, the yeah. Fading to black and sometimes they fade to white depending on if they're in the snow or not. Yep. It adds a sense of time lapse because now we don't know how long it's been and what's happened in the interim in just a fade. Because sometimes it feels like it could have been, you know, 10 seconds. Yeah, because a cut is is just, okay, now we're at the same time, just somewhere else, right? Or another another point of view on the same place, right? But a fade makes you think now we're in a different time, right? Not just a, not just a different place, but a different time. But you don't know how long. You really yeah, don't. That's interesting. And we ask that question, what are we not seeing? And this adds to the distrust that we're experiencing because that's how you begin to distrust the people that you were you just found out you could trust. And so yeah. it doesn't matter how many tests they do. As soon as they fade to black and come back. That's crazy. <laughs> you no longer trust anybody. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's perfect because the passage of time becomes impossible to read. We don't really know how long they were there. Was it a day? Was it a week? Mm -hmm. Sometimes through their dialogue, it feels like, oh, this has actually been several days when it felt like this is one long continuous day. Mm -hmm. But in fact, a lot of time had passed. Um, the other thing they do to kind of add suspense, and this is a super old horror trick, but it works to perfection here, was all the pregnant pauses. They really make us wait for the reveal, like whenever he's doing the blood test. Oh, yeah. Golly. He's just staring him down. And then, uh -huh. and they do it again and again and again. And they do that at the end, too. Um, whenever we were waiting to see what happened to Nalls, right? Uh, he goes back to see what happened to his other buddy. Down in the basement or yeah, wherever the, it is? Yeah, in the, yeah, basement. In the boiler room. And McCready grabs a stick of dynamite. Yeah. And he's just, just staring at it. Waiting. Lights it. It's just burning. We're like, is he going to blow up? Like, yeah. what's happening? And they finally, like, I wasn't expecting that. Whatever was going to happen, you kind of expect it to be like a charge or something. But it's underground, so it's transformed as something completely different. And it's just kind of the perfect way to enunciate. Because once you kind of already know what it is to some degree and what it can do to some degree, then the only thing left is to make us wait for the reveal of is it now is what we're afraid of going to happen now um and john carpenter just masterfully knows when to insert those very long uh pregnant pauses <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah awesome. i really love that like i feel like i learned a lot from just a horror aspect but there's this theory. So I was talking to Brody earlier and he's like, have you heard the bottle theory? Uh, and I was like, what do you, the what? The bottle theory, like the, the alcohol uh, test theory. I was like, what do you know? What is this? He said that there's a, there's a fan theory that at the very end of the film, when Childs and McCready are sitting after everything's been blown up and burned down and they're just kind of waiting to die, that McCready hands him that bottle of alcohol to drink. The theory is that he's giving him a test that what's in the bottle isn't actually alcohol. What's in the bottle is kerosene because there was so much kerosene that that was all he really had access to. And so what he's doing is giving it to Childs as a test to see if he'll drink it. And if he does, then he's the thing, because otherwise the thing doesn't know the difference between alcohol and kerosene and uh, is largely unaffected by it. And so it's kind of this very last test of... Did the thing win? And in this case, of course it did. Because there's nothing that, you know, McCready can do at this point. He's kind of, you know, SOL and he has nothing left to kill it with, mm -hmm. let alone the fortitude. Because he makes that comment like, if there's any surprises left, I don't think there's anything either of us can do about it. And so 
whether or not one of them won or not, I don't know. But I personally don't buy it. I don't either. I don't think so at all. And I'll be curious to see if you have, you know, anything more than just it doesn't feel like the film set it up. But my feeling was it's the same bottle he drank from at the beginning of the film. I just happened to start rewatching it earlier, like before I came over. And I was like, oh, wait, no, that is the same bottle he was drinking from. Or at least it looks like it. But more importantly, in that opening scene, this is the very first note I made. And I wasn't sure if it would come back. But he's playing chess. He's drinking. He's playing chess. He loses the game. He pours the, the drink into the computer and like fries it out. Right. I think that's a hat tip to the thing one. And Childs, I think, is the thing. And he's just kind of doing the same thing he did with the, the, the chess game. Mm-hmm. He's giving it his, his drink. He's like, hey, you earned it. This is yours now. And it's, it's kind of his, you know, gracious loser way of doing things. Yeah. And maybe he's also hoping that it fries it as well. <laughs> <laughs> But it's certainly yeah, yeah. I could see that. Either way, I think it's a hat tip to the to the beginning. Whenever we meet Macready, yeah. um, I totally agree because it's, it's the first thing that we see. Yeah, of him. Yeah, and it makes sense. This whole movie is a chess game, is a chess yeah. match, and you know he lo- he lost at the beginning and probably lost at the end. He's just not very good at chess. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm very surprised that they haven't made a sequel to this. Yeah, have they not? I right, know. and I just missed it. Like a like a shitty sequel right if it made a shitty sequel i I would have missed it that's a fair question but i really don't think so but like like i think that the right studio like if a24 did a sequel to the thing you know that would be legit that really would that would be amazing because i I feel like that studio knows how to do this kind of thing really yeah right like not just horror you know like when i think a24 i think like I think dramas and small indie yes. films. And yeah, I think suspense, mm-hmm. suspenseful, you know, thriller yeah. um, and scary as hell films. Yeah, that would that would be that was what I thought at the end. I thought, man, this really leaves it open for for a sequel. I don't think that probably John Carpenter would want that. Yeah, I think same. that he'd be like, no, no, leave it as is. But. I, as a, as a fan of just stories would really like to see where a good studio could take something like this, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Cinematography for me was the, was top notch. It was fantastic. I did love the story too, but it just wasn't, you know, like it's I'm, a simple film. That's, yeah. I'm that, not, which I actually, I'm glad, I'm yeah. glad they didn't try to do more with it. Cause then it would have been a total miss for me. Yeah. If they'd suddenly injected like the girl and now he's fighting for love and it's like come on man. <laughs> sorry i had to laugh <laughs> that would have been really bad but i could feel a studio trying to do something totally. like that oh yeah like oh, oh we yeah. got to hit our quadrants <laughs> <laughs> so yeah where are yeah. you at um yeah i would say I'll, I'll give it a six nice i'll give it a six that's fair yeah you know I didn't not, I didn't not like it. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. And there was a lot that I felt like, I feel like a lot of films today took from it. Yeah. Um, which is, which is great. It just, you know, I, I'm good. Yeah. No, that's great. And whenever you say six, I hear a three out of five. And for me, that's very sustainable. And I would be happy to watch, to watch a movie and say, oh, you know, Should should we rate out of five? I mean, we can, that's mentally like less taxing for me. (laughs) 
Oh, really? It's five less? Yeah. See? <laughs> five less taxing? We've half as taxing. <laughs> okay. All right. But do we have to do like, we have to, we have to keep it on either whole numbers or halves, right? So like yeah. three and a half. Yeah. I'm, I'm three. okay with three and a half. And I can't, three. we can't do like 3.2. No, 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 no. I completely agree. Because then we might as well do 10. Yeah. Agreed. 10. Agreed. Okay. So half steps only. Okay. Um, yeah. For me, this is. In Netflix, whenever I do my Netflix ratings, this is a five because I want them to recommend more things like this. Oh, yeah. Um, cool. But for, but yeah, I would say this is like a four, four out of five for me. It's still my favorite horror. Uh, there's nothing better that I would want from them out of this mm-hmm. uh, other than maybe like a, a sound remix. Um, yeah. Uh, audio is kind of rough after, you know, 30 some odd years. Uh, <laughs> but otherwise flawless like i am so happy with this movie still and i can imagine me wanting to watch this again in you know six months <laughs> to be completely honest oh geez <laughs> now that i own it yeah it's game over <laughs> oh. <laughs> awesome yeah all right well cool so that was you, fun yeah i liked it what's uh what are you gonna recommend this week so i the other day i was jenny's been actually watching stuff with me which is great i love watching shows and movies with my wife and so we were going going through just, she said, what are you going to do tonight? And I said, I, I don't know, I'll watch something, I guess. And oh, I, I would just finish the thing. And mm. she was doing some work on the couch next to me. And so I put on Netflix and I saw this thing and I was like, I guess I'll put this on. And she looked and she was like, is that, is that Paul Rudd? And I said, yeah, it is. Okay. And we watched one episode, it was like 22 minutes. And I was like, wow, this, I did not expect this. This was really good. And then watched another one and another one. We watched them all what? in one night. All, uh, there 10 episodes? I can't remember. Yeah. It was no, there's eight good. or 10 episodes. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend Living With Yourself. Wow. On, it came out on Netflix on Friday. I will check that out. The, it's, I mean, I want to say, I mean, I haven't seen everything that Paul Rudd has done, but it's one of my favorite things that he's ever done. You, I don't want to say much more because it gives stuff away, but it's, and, and like his wife is amazing actress and, and you fall in love with her and like, it's just so good. It's so good. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. That's you should really go exciting. home and, and they're bite-sized. They're like, you know, 22 minutes, 21 minutes. They're like legitimate TV episodes. Wow. Yeah. I assume they were going to be like hour long. Nope. Shots. Nope. It's just, and that's it. Yeah. Dude, that's really cool. Yeah. Nice. I'm going to recommend a Korean film from Wong Kar Wai called Chungking Express. In the, in the same idea of kind of being isolated and mistrusting, it kind of, in a very different way, tackles some of those themes. And so if you are not well-versed in foreign films and you want to dip your toes into something that is thoughtful and odd and interesting, uh, that's probably a fun, simple one. I don't know anywhere you'll be able to watch it, but if you can get your hands on it. I, Are we supposed to recommend things that people can actually watch? No? Not necessarily, no. No? Um, if you really want it, go find it. Yeah, I mean, because to me, as long as it's a known quantity, I feel like, it, would it be worth your time or if you saw it? Yeah, I think so. But I'll put a trailer in the uh, in the show notes okay, just so that you can understand what you're getting yourself into because maybe it won't be worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> One of those, huh? Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, but I'm a huge Wong Kar Wai fan. Um, cool. So he he helps me with life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so cool. Stay tuned. Next week, we are going to be doing 
Joker. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. Me too. Make sure you go see it first. Yes. And, oh, uh, I totally jumped the gun. And so did you want to do another shout? For what? So check the show notes. We have uh, some swag now. Oh, right. Yeah. Some shirts. Like, sorry. I, I, no, all good. All I, good. Yes, we, we have shirts. We have a Patreon as well. Like we said last week uh, that when we just launched it, uh, we only have one tier. It's $2. Uh, and that's just that just helps us out a little bit. Tells us that we don't suck, essentially. Yeah. That you like what we're doing, you know? And I think maybe if... As a as a bonus to our Patreonites, patrons, patrons, <laughs> I can start putting like my show notes in there, like all the oh, notes, yeah, perfect that I take for the the episode and things that I pick out. Like I'm more than happy oh, yeah. to you know publish to the Patreon. So anybody who falls that that awesome. would be I don't know some wildly yeah, exclusive. <laughs> yeah, just just copy and paste them up there. Yeah. That's just like a little thing that only patrons will get that nobody else will ever get. That yeah. will not we haven't put anything online anywhere else. Definitely. Awesome. And so yeah, but we also have shirts and stuff too, which will all be in the description and the show notes. And the short spotlight this week mm-hmm. uh, was pretty tough to find. I went through like 15 or 20 shorts uh, looking for something that I connected with. And finally, it finally found one. I literally went through 15 or 20 of these things. Wow. And there's this great little short film called After uh, by Matt Fuller. And it's it's interesting. It takes you on a journey that you don't know what you're getting into. But it's short. It's only like four or five minutes. And I think you'll enjoy it. So Okay. Check that out. That'll Sweet. be in the show notes as well. And don't forget to subscribe, review us on iTunes if you have not done so before. And I want to give a shout out to Joe from Hawaii, who's back with us. Yeah, Maybe he man. never left, uh, but he was quiet on the boards for a while. Yeah. Um, but also Izzy's been killing it too. Like yeah. he sent just a really fantastic uh, email through Facebook. Um, oh, cool. And he made this great comment. He's like, man, just keep doing what y'all are doing because nobody else is doing this. And he started referencing like the heavy hitters. He's like, man, uh, and I'm not going to call out these other podcasts, uh, because they're podcasts that I would hope to be on someday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, and I, I totally got what he was saying. He was right. He was like, man, these, these other ones, they have these A-list directors come in and these big names and yet they kind of just drift and they don't really, tell me anything new and it's so he was just like man i really like what y'all are doing keep doing man, it. man that's awesome yeah that makes, was, man thank you izzy that makes me feel really really good dang man. right and if y'all want to comment on this episode in particular you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash the thing did, wh- when did john carpenter make this quote i don't know because so, this is like so <laughs> on point with what we're going to do next week Ooh, yeah i mean with this with this movie but what we're going to do next week Anyway, quote of the day from John Carpenter. Horror is always the same. It changes with the culture and changes with technology. The stories are always the same. They're just two basic stories in horror, two simple ones. Evil is outside and evil is in here, in the heart. It's just, I mean, on the the nose. Like that would have, that was perfect this week, but it would have been even more perfect next week. So true. Like I, yeah, it's so true. And it's amazing, like, I've never thought of trying to boil down horror so, like, elegantly. Yeah. There's only two things. The horror that's outside and the horror within. Yeah. Like, or the evil, you know, or there whatever. the evil here. Yeah. Like, wow, that's 
such a great way to think about it. And I mean, I would expect nothing less from John freaking Carpenter, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like they were dealing with that in this film for sure. Like they were dealing not just with the alien, but how they were going to treat each other uh, in the face of dealing with the alien. And that's right. oh, ultimately the, the, the hardest morality obstacle that you deal with when overcoming an invader mm-hmm. because yes sometimes you can make an omelet by breaking some eggs but whenever you're talking about morality and you kind of give it up if in the process of solving a problem you sacrifice everyone around you totally <laughs> then you're then you're the the thing yeah that's right right that oh. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> mic drop. I'm not going to drop my $400 microphone, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is, yeah, no. Anyway, yeah, beautiful quote, man. Thanks, man. Awesome. So, guys, thank you for joining us. I had a great time. Same. Yeah, this is enjoyable. I, I liked it a lot. Join us next week. We're going to be covering Joker. Make sure to drop into a, a, a theater and go watch that. Uh, until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Mm-hmm.